add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie Leia Healthcare Looking after you always Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, with life returning to some kind of normality and restrictions lifting, despite COVID-19 still being a part of our lives, many of us may be feeling loads of different emotions around that. Now we're transitioning back to the way we used to live, there might be an apprehension about the change, the stress around living with the virus, and maybe even anxiety about going out and socialising again. Joining me today to help navigate through all those feelings about life after lockdown is Louise Carroll, consultant psychologist and co-founder of Prism Therapy Online. Louise, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's going well. So listen, I, peep, I think this is going to be a really popular episode. I know I'm certainly going through these emotions. I went to my first wedding in two years uh, last weekend and all my old school friends were there. There was lots of handshaking and hugging and it was all very strange and all very overwhelming. Uh, and I'm sure people who are listening in are going through very similar emotions uh, it's normal, I suppose. It's the best place to start. Those emotions are very normal, I would imagine. They are, you know, and it's something I've been reflecting on a lot recently too. And it was probably the first time in my professional career that I'm actively going through what my clients are also going through. You know, so there was a parallel for the journey. Um, it, it was, it was sort of, I would say, the blind leading the blind because none of us have been in this before in this situation, but. You know, as I reflected on it in the last few days, we've had two years of having to adapt into a completely new way of being. We've had two years to try and integrate and navigate the new feelings of anxiety that came with what we were experiencing. And 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 I mean, the unique kind of anxiety in that, you know, as I was speaking to people, we didn't know that if you decided to go and visit your mother or your parent or an elderly family member you didn't know if you had the virus and you could literally kill the person right I'm, I'm, you know I, I'm not I'm not being I don't think I'm exa- exacerbating the issue here this is this is genuinely what a lot of people were feeling at the time that's that's pretty significant and that gets coded into our bodies right that that feeling of anxiety and that sort of worry around infection um and it stays with us for a time and it takes a little while to adapt and move our way outside of that way of being. And just as long as it took us to adapt into the pandemic, we'll also have to kind of gently move our way out of it too. And of course, change is a really difficult thing. You just said it there at the start of the pandemic, we had to change to restrictions and living a certain way. Then it kind of became kind of normal and we just kind of lived it and got on with it. And now we're having to change out of that. And whether we're happy about it or not, we have to change. Yes, we are. Humans are so adaptable. And in fact, that is one of, one of the best predictors of good mental health is actually how flexible you can be. So I mean, it's always worth sort of practicing being flexible. And that's the kind of emotional resilience that we talk about. Um, but it, again, in adapting to a certain way, and it can take that lead in time to do it, it does give, we do need to do it on the way back out. <laughs> Just because it's a positive thing, you know, in general and on paper, it's a, and of course it's a positive thing. 
it, there's a physiological adaptation as well as well as an emotional adaptation that we need to go through in order to click back in. You know, I hear a lot of people speaking about, I feel really awkward in social situations now. I can't even remember to be or how to be in a restaurant. I can't, I stumble over the words I need to say to, to maybe ask for my needs to be met in certain situations. That would have been so usual and so typical. Um, but we are adaptable. But I think what's going to come up for people and what they are experiencing is the feeling of trepidation and anxiety and perhaps a bit of resistance into getting back into the regular flow of things. And that resistance comes from both, again, as we said, having adapted to not doing that and keeping your distance from people. So there's that natural resistance to come through and it takes a little bit of time to get over it. But it's also when we don't do something for a long time, our skills atrophy. And that includes our interpersonal skills. So if you're not used to socializing, generating conversation, and you're more used to your own space, it can feel a little alien and then it can feel anxiety provoking. That doesn't mean don't do it. <laughs> just, to be, just to be clear about that, you know, anxiety doesn't always mean you should follow what it's trying to tell you. It just means that it, it was a natural reaction to a pretty crap set of circumstances for the last two years. And it's normal that it's there but we need to connect to what matters to us now as we move forward. And it's fair to say to people, and even in my own situation, that it gets easier. So, you know, we filmed with for our outbreak challenges with groups for the last two weeks. The first group, it was overwhelmingly anxious. It was just so strange that people coming up to you afterwards. Last week, the second time, it was, it was nowhere near as bad. The wedding was tough, but again, nowhere near as bad. So the more you do it, the easier it's going to get in terms of easing back into society to adapting back into society the way we used to be. Yes, yes. And it's stimulus overload, quite frankly, too. You know, when you think about all the different stimuli that we've cut off from ourselves in, in the course of lockdown, like the way we connected was through the screens. So there's a huge amount of stimuli now that, that gets eliminated in that scenario. When you're face to face with a person in real life, in, in, in their actual company, you're incorporating body language signals into your emotional connection into your social connection into your understanding you're watching not just the face you're not just hearing audio you're feeling the energy in the room as well all of that was eliminated and just like that the skills atrophy too but we become less used to that level of energy so when we're around more people we feel a lot more overwhelmed much more quickly after spending time without that so just to bear that in mind too and chatting about the last two years, have we all just come through it at being basically stressed and somewhat stressed or just got used to that level of stress and anxiousness around numbers and, and COVID numbers and restrictions and what, you know, that famous shot of a Friday evening at the steps of the government buildings wondering what's coming. Presumably we, we, we've, we've come through uh, having gotten used to some level of stress in our lives or, or an increased level of stress over, over what was there before. Mm-hmm. We do. We get we adapt to a sort of a, a low level, <laughs> consistent frequency of anxiety. That's for sure. And I think we all became used to what are the numbers going to be? You know, what are we what are we going to hear next? You know, and as soon as we get a get, bit of good news, is there going to be another absolute valley <laughs> of bad news that's going to come next? So it was. You know, I said this before. It's the it was the in it, it was the consistency of the inconsistency that we became quite used to, and that kind of intermittent reinforcement is has the much more impact on our nervous systems actually and on our sense of ability to cope than a consistent level of lockdown for example or a consistent level of okay this is just the way it is and this is going to be like this for two years that would have been easier on our nervous systems not necessarily obviously economically 
financially for people. Um, but actually our adaptation, it would have been easier for that than the intermittent nature of what actually occurred, because that's what kind of dysregulates our nervous systems and our feelings of our ability to cope and our adaptation to the new ways of living. Uh, so that actually made it more tricky. And that's you get the peaks and troughs of anxiety. It keeps it ticking. Yeah. And is it normal for some people to feel, I suppose, somewhat burnt out at this stage? The fact that there is a sense of it's not over, but there is a sense of that it's over. If you look around, even in terms of my own chatting with clients, I think I've mentioned COVID twice in the last week, where prior to that, you'd be talking about it every client, every session, it's consistent. And we're seeing it with with people that we're working with in terms of they do seem to be, uh, the fact that it's lifting, uh, they do seem to be somewhat burnt out. And would that be a normal kind of take and a normal feeling to feel post what we've gone through? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And again, th- th- what we just talked about, that intermittent nature of, of sort of the reinforcement or the intermittent stimuli or being kind of pushed or feeling um, put into the fight or flight system, which is what we all had again over the last two years. Is this going to be threatening to our lives? Is what's going to happen? Is somebody going to get really sick? Ha- has somebody gotten really sick and we've lost them? So that constant peak and trough keeps our systems in a fight or flight state. And that impacts us. And actually, when we are told that threat is no longer there, we might not just go back to a normal regulated state. We might get absolutely floored because now we can stop, right? Because you ha- your defenses go up in a fight or flight. You're, you're activated. You're on the ball. It's like a tiger is running <laughs> headlong for your head. That's, that's what it is when you're in a fight or flight state. It's like you're about to be attacked. That's, what, that's the state that we move into. When that disappears, boom, right, we hit the floor because it's safe to hit the floor now. And, you know, I, I've recently been speaking about the, the kind of anhedonia, which doesn't really get spoken about. Um, anhedonia would be a feature of depression. We don't really talk about it, but actually, you know, you can have anhedonia without necessarily being depressed per se. But anhedonia means it's the absence of joy from what you used to find joyful so the things that used to bring you happiness or contentment or the feeling of connection and the the good warmth you know that 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 feeling of intimacy and feeling like you have a purpose and a belonging the things that used to bring you joy just no longer do and even speaking in terms of neuroscience if your frontal cortex is overstimulated meaning you're constantly trying to navigate trying to judge trying to be cognitively aware self-monitoring, monitoring others, if this is overdone, if it's too much, if there's too much stimuli going in, it can actually bring us into a state of anhedonia eventually as a reaction, as an unhooking. And it's, it can be also known as burnout. It's a similar thing, actually. But burnout is quite closely linked to the absence of joy. And if people are going through that, chat me through tips. How do they, how do they reconnect? How do they bring joy back into the things they used to find joyful? Well, if you think of it as I've been overstimulated, you know, and overstimulated sounds like, okay, there's been lots going on and I've been busy, but it's not, it's not as simple as that. There's been lots going on and your body has been in a constant state of fight or flight. That is not good because it means that cortisol is legging it around your body. (laughs) It's flowing around your body. So you've got to, I got to cease and desist, you know, and, and not everybody has the luxury of being able to stop, you know, I'm going to stop work for a while or I'm going to, you know, I can't be on hand to meet everybody's needs or the kids needs daily so it's it's different it's going to be different for everybody but 
it is important that if you do find yourself in a state of that where you just don't find joy in the things that used to bring you joy, you've got to look at that because it doesn't get better unless you can stop and take some kind of time out. Whether that is 30 minutes earlier before anyone in the house gets up, whether it's a bit later where people go to sleep and you stay up and you just give yourself not stay up to the detriment of your sleep, but just enough time to regulate yourself, to get your nervous system deactivated, to figure out what's going on for you. And, and it's not in the search of joy, by the way, and it's not in the search of happiness. And I'm always quite blunt about this. We're, we're not in pursuit of happiness and we shouldn't be in pursuit of happiness. We should be in pursuit of fulfillment. And that in turn will bring moments of joy and happiness. Joy and happiness is not a perpetual state. Otherwise, it wouldn't be joy and happiness. It would just be some kind of utopia or nirvana, right? And this, we're on earth. It doesn't exist. But if we persist for fulfillment and we do the things that we feel keep us on track, and we know when we're on track, right? Because we feel it in our guts. Okay, this is good. This is, but it might be hard. This thing might be hard, but I'm doing something that matters to me. And, and keep, if, if you come away with anything today in this conversation, what matters to you? And it could be family. It, it could be many things. It could be people all the time. Okay, good. Well, how is your life geared towards that? Or how is your life not geared towards that? Because the chances are that if you're feeling that joyless sort of existence, something's gone off track as well. But, but de-stimulate. Take the stimulus down. Maybe cut social media in half of the time exposed to stimulus. Right? Well, look at us. We are assaulted by stimuli. Left, I mean, I noticed myself, I was in a cafe the other day. I had my laptop, I had my iPad, and I had my phone. And I was, I was, I was quite, I was semi-disgusted with myself, <laughs> to be honest, because, you know, I really was. I don't need, why do I have all these devices? You know, and I, I don't need them. I actually needed to go to the cafe and sit there with a coffee and think and reflect. Did I really need all these devices? But, but we are being assaulted by whatever Google chooses to throw up as a sponsored ad, whatever our friends and connections and acquaintances choose to post on their accounts that we scroll through. You know, it's okay, it's not an act of assault. We're engaging with it, but, you know, I'm being dramatic just for the purposes of illustrating my point. But we are being assaulted by stimuli. You know, we, it's going into our brains and we are swimming in other people's moments. So that's what I mean about being overstimulated. Cut that for a time, if you feel that you're being overstimulated. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We're chatting to the fantastic Louise Carroll. Let's keep on the social media buzz. I'm intrigued by this. It's a big topic we chat about on the show every now and again uh, in terms of the mental health impact of social media. And let's take the conversation towards that. Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah. Tell me more about it. <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's a tough conversation, right? Because it's, it's useful. And it cannot be denied that social media is useful. You've caught me at an interesting time to talk about social media because I've somehow gotten locked out of Facebook <laughs> to the point where I actually can't get back in. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Well, it, I, it's mixed, I'll be honest with you, because <laughs> I need it in order to do the you know, promoted posts on Instagram. So it's all linked and connected. So this means yeah. it's cut everything. I can't. I got locked out of Instagram a while ago from over usage and I still haven't recovered from the, the jitters that came with being locked out of Instagram for the same, very same reasons as, as, as yourself. From over work, usage. You, know? you got kicked out because you used it too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
It turns out, I like to research stuff. I know. So it turns out you're only allowed to do X amounts of activity on it in terms of likes or whatever. And if you over, if you, if you go over that, they lock you out for 24 hours. Oh my God. <laughs> That's, that is fascinating. Yeah. I'm Wait. confessing. I'm confessing all my sins That's, as per normal. Anytime I talk to anyone here. in psychology, I am, conf- <laughs> I am confessing everything. But no, so, but it, the mental health impacts of that were fascinating in terms of how do you feel when you're locked out of something? You feel, well, you feel ang- for the first hour, you're quite anxious. You're quite kind of, upset by it and you're missing out that fear of missing out and then after about two hours that goes away and it's actually deadly because you know you can't access it so you actually go and do other stuff like you're you're chatting about earlier in terms of fulfillment that you go and just do not non-social non-instagram related stuff you know that i'll be honest the first thing i felt was angry and anger (laughs) continued and i started to wonder why am i so so angry okay yes i can't promote the things that i can't do my work i can't do the work that i need to do through these platforms that was the one thing and then of course the band needs to get promoted through there as well so both of those things are flat on both on those sides because of it but my anger was coming from here i am <laughs> bouncing between an admin email and facebook getting links from facebook and then logging in through the link but still being asked for a code and literally going back and forth being completely hamstrung by this platform that i dislike anyway and spending my time on social media admin I actually started to reflect that I'm I'm making my telomeres my DNA shorter I'm making my life shorter by spending time do this doing this that's how much I hated it <laughs> and that's just that's just one glimpse of a moment spending time on admin for social media felt like a waste of my time really and truly felt like a waste of my time and it is a waste of my time and I have moved to the point where I think I'm going to let it go <laughs> so it, it's there's social media is such a, a rounded conversation because there's there's the pit that's the dark pit side of it but of course the other side of it is is connection and you do link with people and you do feel that you can especially if you have a business you know that you can connect with consumers or you can influence pe- people's ideas about what it is that you're promoting or talking about and even as a psychologist it's it's quite relevant for people and I think people find a lot of support and help through those platforms too in that way. But I, I really have a mixed relationship with it. I will be honest, even when it's functioning, I have a mixed relationship with it because we are flooded with information. We are flooded. At the, at the click of a button, we can find out what we're going through. We can look at a list of 10 bullet points that resemble or resonate with us about what we're experiencing in our lives. But the, the problem is, as I see it, is it stops there. So we see all this information and we feel we feel momentarily understood. Ah, yes. You know, we're able to put a label on it. Oh, that's what I'm experiencing. Maybe I'm traumatized. Okay, that's what it is. And then there's a full stop and we go about our lives and we don't feel any different and we wonder why. You know, so there's I feel like we're, we're flooded by information to the point where we disconnect from how it feels. And in order to heal through anything, inclu- including you know, coming back out into society after the trauma of a pandemic, we've got to know how to connect with ourselves and not bypass that through being so overstimulated, against that word again, you know, with everything else that's going on that we miss it. And if we continue to miss how we really feel at our core, we miss the opportunity to heal fundamentally. So that's my, that's, that's my (laughs) 
my balance with social media at the moment. And is, is that overstimulation? Is that is that what delivers the endless scrolling then? That there's just so much, we're being so simulated that we're overly simulated that we just scroll that endlessly, mindlessly scroll without really reading anything and looking at some of the pictures, but we still kind of just scroll for hours on end. Yeah. yeah. If uh, I uh, The next time you do that, the next time you find yourself doing that, if you remember, clock, tap into how you're feeling when you're doing it. My guess is that there will be a sort of low level numb type of calm because you're somewhat out of your body when you're doing it you're somewhat disconnected and when we disconnect if we're, if we're in panic right or if we're if we're in a really difficult situation particularly people who've been through really traumatic situations they actually naturally learn how to dissociate in in order to cope so in order to cope with the pain in the moment they they develop a habit of dissociation, which you might see then as they move into adulthood and move out throughout relationships. When somebody just disappears, you know they're not there. They're emotionally gone. And, they, and it's, it's a useful tool, right, because it does calm the nervous system. I'm disconnecting from this challenging or conflictual situation because that's how I know how to cope. And when you're scrolling through Instagram and you're moving the button or Twitter and you're seeing other people's you're dissociating from yourself. You're detaching from yourself. Now, if it's Twitter, you might actually be realizing you're feeling kind of angry or irritated, right? Because many time I look at that, it's just, <laughs> I mean, that is a toxic yeah, soup. That's a whole other story. In fact, <laughs> it's its own beast. But, but I deleted yeah. my Twitter. And I you? talk about, you talk about, you know, doing things to improve your, your mental health or just your emotional health. Absolutely. It was liberating. It was, I did it about two weeks ago. It was fantastic. I, I'm not I, Instagram is a different function because there's a work function to it and I actually really enjoy the, the Instagram bit but um, one of the things I want to chat to you about as well is uh, over the course of lockdown certainly the first year I think but particularly people reflected they stopped their lives it was a very it was the first time you could legally stop and be told to stay at home and you could reflect upon yourself and the good stuff and the bad stuff and I think everyone did it and I'm fascinated by people who did it maybe potentially too much who did, you know, who over reflected potentially, is that a thing? And, you know, because we were sitting at home, we were doing, a lot of people were doing that. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Tell me a little bit more. When you say over reflected, where where does that come from? Or what have you seen that you, you thought? Yeah, so yeah. by, you know, by, by people kind of look just looking, I suppose, too deeply into themselves, because we were at home, we were locked in, we were just, yeah, we were just kind of, you know, we, we had time to do it. And people found things they, they liked about themselves and things they didn't like to, like about themselves. I know any psychologists we ever have on, they always say, you know, it's important to look back before you go forward. And I'm intrigued by, has COVID brought people almost too far back or not, as the, as the case may be? I think it depends on what you define as too far back. And if we were to put any kind of summary on whether something is good or bad, I think you've got to ask the question, is this, has this destabilized you to the point where it's debilitating or has it opened you up in a way that is destabilizing but in fact is helping you move towards a track that is much better for you and back to what we said earlier back towards what matters to you so it depends on what you define as is it over analysis um if we are deeply deeply entering into a state of analysis in about our choices about what we want you know, and I, and I think this whole period of time is, is being referred to as the great adaptation. 
you know, but also the great resignation, right? Because so many people are leaving the jobs that they were in or the roles they were in and changing it. So, I mean, if overanalysis led to actually, do you know what? I hate what I've created for myself and I want to now live. I want to, and I love this phrase and I feel like I want to live by it for the rest of my life. I want to live an intentional life. So I don't want to trip over and fall into the next job and the next job because I get offered it or because it's easy or because it just involves a sidestep. I don't want to do that anymore. And now I have a chance to curate the kind of life that I want to live. And that does take analysis. And it also takes pulling out all the resistance from the shadows <laughs> out into the light to look at it and go, what has been holding me back from doing this? Has it been fear? Has it been guilt? Has it been, you know, worry that I, I'm not good enough? Is it self-doubt? All of those things. Is it all these hidden beliefs that I'm not worthy of actually making an effort to do something different? What is it? And I think in that space of time, we had we had a chance to look at it. And sometimes that was very painful for people too. Because look, I've spent 30 years doing something I didn't like. And that has not brought me to a place that I'm happy with. That's pretty devastating to admit that. It's much harder to admit that after 30 years than it is to continue for another 30 years. As we're all coming out of this now, you know, the key thing is around, we're being pushed out of our comfort zones. You know, in, in, in many ways, both in terms of work and people maybe returning to work and not wanting to return to work and trying to find that new equilibrium of normal. And if I can pull one thing from our conversation, there's lots to pull from it, but it certainly seems to be that make those decisions with intention, that they're actually what you want and what you really want, as opposed to just making those decisions for the crack and going with it, as you may have done before, that make the decisions intently and ensure that it, it, it's, it's fit for the purpose that you want to get from it. Yeah. But, you know, again, and it depends how you live, right? And it also depends on what you value in your life. And if you've always played the role of, I'll please everybody else, right? If you're a people pleaser, then you're tapped into what everyone else wants. So you have perhaps lived a bit of a life with, well, are you, are you, are you okay? Is everything okay with you? Cool. Well, I'll fit around that. <laughs> you know, so is, is all the family happy? Good. Okay. Well, what do I want to do in this last hour that I've left in the day? Okay, cool. I'll do that. So if you spent your life people pleasing, then you haven't spent a lot of time looking internally. And to to take action towards what you want might mean ruffling feathers. It might mean upsetting people. It might mean it might mean the end of some relationships. There's the truth. So, you know, I talk about this a bit, as does Esther Perel, who's a wonderful relationships uh, therapist. But she talks about where you raised for autonomy. Or were you raised for loyalty? And if you're raised for loyalty, the track that you go down is, is everyone else okay? Are we all good? Right? And in this conversation that I'm having with you, are you happy? Are you pleased with me? Are you feeling good? Good. That's my priority. As opposed to, I'm going to say what I think here because I really believe in it. Even if it hurts you. Not intentionally hurting you, but even if you're not happy with me. And even if it calls a bit, causes a bit of a ripple here. So there's the autonomy thread. And so if you push through your life with the autonomy thread, then you're aiming and you're focused on what you want for you. If you're gone on the loyalty thread, then you sacrifice quite often your own autonomous needs in favor of maintaining the relationship. What we're looking for is a bit of both. 
Yeah, I can see people listening in. I'm doing it myself as you talk. But which one of those am I? <laughs> <laughs> which side of the fence do I sit? Which side of the fence do I sit on? And I know my uh, my wife will tell you exactly what side of the fence I sit on. <laughs> uh, anyway, listen, it's been great to catch up with you. If people want to find out more about you or touch base with you, where can they find you? Um, Prism Therapy Online on Instagram. <laughs> just just off the back of our social media conversation. I'm not locked out of that yet. <laughs> so so that one's still active. <laughs> or info at prismtherapyonline.com, but you, you get through to our team. But prismtherapyonline.com is our website. And so you can get matched with a therapist. So it removes the burden of actually searching for a therapist. Usually I get asked daily. I still do can I recommend a therapist? And I totally understand that. Absolutely. You want to know that who you're going to, who you're spending your money on is both highly trained and qualified, but is comes recommended from somebody that you know and respect. So that was the impetus behind developing this platform was it's going to, it's got to be a place where it houses therapists that I've met, that we've interviewed, that I understand their, their ethos, their way of working. And so I can recommend all the therapists on the platform. So that was the idea about about building it. And everybody is qualified to the highest standard in online therapy in Ireland as well. Okay, fantastic. Louise Carroll, it's been lovely to meet you and chat to you. And thank you for all your tips and all your content today. Folks, that's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. As ever, you know where we are, realhealthindependent.ie, at Carl Henry PT on Twitter. Well, not anymore because I'm off Twitter. At Carl Henry PT on Instagram. You can certainly find me there. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you very, very soon. Slong go Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.